welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to Todd Chambers, the director and founder of UpRaw Media, an Amsterdam-based agency that helps SaaS companies to grow and scale using paid media. In this episode, you'll learn the top six mistakes that SaaS companies make with pay-per-click campaigns and how you can avoid them. Whether you're running Google AdWords, Facebook advertising, or LinkedIn ads, you'll hear some useful advice from a PPC expert about how to be more effective with your PPC campaigns. You'll learn about the importance of understanding SaaS unit economics, why you need to track both online and offline conversions, how to take a full funnel approach to your PPC campaigns, the one key metric that SaaS companies often don't focus enough on, why you're probably under-investing in your conversion rate optimization, and the importance of aligning sales and marketing to make your PPC campaigns effective. So I hope you enjoy it. Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So for um, people who don't know anything about Uproar Media, tell us like who are your ideal clients? How do you help them? And you know what's the big problem that you're trying to solve here? Yeah, so uh, our typical clients are SaaS companies, SaaS companies looking to scale. And the problem we're trying to solve is to help them scale and grow using uh, paid media, which uh, requires a, quite a specific set of skills. And we also do conversion rate optimization. So we help them build experiments, hypotheses, and then we also do measurements. So we help them understand the impact of their paid media spend and how that translates into revenue. So when you, when you talk about PPC, where does most of that focus go? Is it on search ads? Is it, I mean, obviously Google is a big part of that, but we're talking more broadly right? There's, there's a whole bunch of different places that you can be spending your PPC budget these days. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we typically work in a B2B environment when, in SaaS B2B, lead gen. So the majority, I would say more than 50% goes to Google, not just search. That would be GDN display, remarketing, uh, YouTube video campaigns, maybe Gmail ads, uh, a small amount on Bing for, for US clients, and then uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and then some other niche platforms like Quora and uh, uh, yeah, soon to be uh, TikTok. Okay, so just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, you're here as the the PPC expert who's helping SaaS companies. So just tell us about you and and sort of how you ended up doing what you're doing. Yeah, sure. I've been basically working in PPC for over ten years. Used to work in central uh, London, uh, running agencies there, and uh, we're actually currently based in Amsterdam. We have a small team here of uh, eight people. And around three years ago, I decided just to focus purely on SaaS. In my experience, uh, in PPC, SaaS companies tend to make really good working partners because they're technically proficient. Usually the whole business is based on online. So there's kind of, uh, yeah, there's a good synergy there with, with SaaS businesses. So, yeah. Okay, great. So today we're going to talk about six mistakes that you've seen SaaS companies make with PPC. So without further ado, why don't we start digging into that? So what is uh, mistake number one? Yeah. Okay. So all the mistakes I've seen. Um, so 
I think the, the first thing to understand about a SaaS business is that the kind of the unit economics are different to maybe a, a normal traditional type business. So in an ideal world, you'll be optimizing towards LTV. You'll understand what your customer lifetime value is. And then you're basically saying how aggressive or how profitable do we want to be? So how, what percentage of that lifetime value will we willing to give up to gain that customer? The customer acquisition cost CAC, which I'm sure your listeners will, will understand. And then how many conversions will it take us to get that customer acquisition? So in my experience in dealing with SaaS companies that spend hundreds of thousands or whether they spend five or 10,000, 95% of the time, people don't take the time to understand the unit economics. So if you think about it, if you're optimizing towards LTV, it might be 18 to 24 months before you actually realize that LTV. But if you're giving up, say, I think traditionally in SaaS, it said roughly 33% or one third is of your LTV should be given towards CAC. But if you're giving that 33% up in month one, and it takes you two years to realize it, you can get into this kind of negative cash flow trough. So taking the time to uh, really understand that, I see most SaaS companies don't do. So let's kind of just give a really simple example. So let's say we have a SaaS company where the lifetime value is $1,000, right? Just an easy number to work with. And when we think about CAC or the customer acquisition cost, if we, if we go with the third guideline, it could be, well, we are willing to spend you know, $333 to acquire that customer through PPC. Mm-hmm. But that spend goes in month one, but we might not realize the full you know, value of that customer for the 24 months. So how is that going to kind of balance out? And then I think the other part you just talked about was the conversion. So I guess this is about how many leads or clicks I guess I need to generate in order to be able to get that one sale. Is that what you mean by that? Absolutely correct. Yeah, indeed. So just reverse engineering each piece of the the puzzle. How many conversions do we need to get to realize that customer acquisition cost? So just in terms of best practice, what is like the right way to sort of do this? Yeah, so it can be difficult because obviously if you're a startup, you you may have just launched or you're three or four months in and you're running a SaaS business and you don't really understand your LTV because it could well be that people stay on board for 24 months or maybe, yeah, or maybe you haven't even got the, the measurement in place. So it, that's a difficult one to answer. I mean, the best thing you can do is make good assumptions. And even by making predictions and assumptions, it's a much better starting point than just kind of putting your finger in the air and hoping for the best. But I would say, depending if, of course, if you have funding and you're able to, you know, spend money to kind of accumulate over the long run, although the cash flow trough can be deeper, at the end of it, you'll, you'll come out with much more profit. Whereas if you're maybe don't have so much cash, it's maybe better to have a, a kind of much quicker buyback period to get your customer acquisition costs. So maybe just a super simple uh, example. So Maybe if your customer acquisition cost is uh, $75 and your SaaS subscription is 25 then it's going to take you three months to gain back the customer acquisition cost. So basically, if you don't have much money, you need a shorter time period to regain the CAC. Got it. Okay. And in terms of conversion, what is the objective there is just to sort of figure out how much you can potentially bid on an ad? 
Yeah, so there's a, there's a ton of uh, nuance in this because obviously the conversion rate from each channel will be different. So if we just take uh, search is usually the typical place to start. So making sure you have all the measurement in place with the CRM and uh, following through the, the original click, it's called the Google Click ID, making sure that's sent in with the form which kind of leads nicely onto the next point, which is not not tracking uh, offline conversion. So, yeah, let, let's go there. So, many people, what they'll do is they'll they'll just track conversions. And a typical thing we hear is that they 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 want better, they want quality leads. Well, the only way you can really do that is by connecting offline with online. So, making sure you have yeah the, the G cleared, for example, in Google, the Click ID, making sure that's sent through with the form, and making sure that that is sent through with each phase of the sales process so when they become an mql and a sal and close one that the, the click id is associated with that and then you can measure more effectively and then you can you know retrospectively go back and make sure that your original assumptions are correct so not tracking offline is a big mistake we also see okay let's kind of just clarify this as well so if you have a SaaS business where it's pretty much self-serve. People come to the website, they can sign up for a trial, they can put in their credit card information and you know they can start paying. That That's a lot clearer because you can measure basically end-to-end from the point where I got a click from, let's say, LinkedIn through to that person becoming a trial or whatever my model is for getting those people in or activating them through to you know, this is now how much they're paying and, you know, they're a customer. So that's, that's I guess that, that part is easier to track. The online, offline piece challenge becomes when you're a business that does, there's some level of sales involved. And so the online component is just generating the lead for you. Then there's a whole bunch of, like you said, you know, okay, is this, you know, you know, an MQL, marketing qualified lead, handing off to sales, conversations, demos, more demos, whatever it takes until you get to a point where you can close that sale. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And um, often in a B2B and like enterprise level SaaS, you see much longer sales cycles. So really what, what they're to go one step further, the, the end game is that you you're not optimizing in your ad account towards a conversion. You're optimizing towards another offline event, which is closer to the sale. So this is where it becomes tricky because you need, so for example, if we say we're not going to track uh, conversions, we we want to optimize towards MQLs. So in an ideal world, you'd have the G-Clip pass through. You then maybe say uh, 20% of conversions become, sorry. Todd, just explain the, the G-Clip for people who don't know what that is. Uh, sure. So uh, every time you click, click on a Google ad, there's a, uh, like a UTM parameter, there's a unique ID in the URL. And then it's basically, you capture that ID in the cookie. And then when someone submits the form on HubSpot or whatever, and Unbounce, it, it captures that click ID, which leads nicely onto my next point. It, what you ideally want to do is then when that, person becomes an mql that that original click id is associated in in the crm and then you can push that back into google ads for example systematically so you can then start optimizing in the account based on mqls or even if you have enough data you could even go further in the maybe a sal or as, as far as you can go where there's enough volume so the algorithm's actually learning based on further down the funnel that's kind of the the best possible solution Right. And the reason that's important is because it really gives you 
a much better understanding or visibility of how you're actually converting and how effective your PPC campaigns are. Because in that kind of environment where you have some some offline component or sales and maybe there's a long sales cycle, it's not uncommon that six or nine months down the road, you close a sale and you don't know where that lead came from. Indeed. There's only one slight nuance in the, the, um, the click ID in the case of Google, that, that GCLID, it has a 90-day uh, shelf life. So once the sales cycle goes over 90 days, you can't re-import back, back into Google Ads. So again, that's another nuance you need to consider if you have super long sales cycles. Okay. So uh, let's talk about the next mistake. Yeah. Okay. Uh, mistake number three. So not taking a full funnel approach to PPC. So uh, in my experience, dealing with lots of SaaS companies, and particularly ones that have funding, they have lots of money and they have kind of really aggressive growth targets and investors, you know, they need to grow, they need to grow fast. And they think they can kind of throw money at the problem. And typically what happens is they, they run search campaigns, uh, lower funnel search, you know, people that are actively looking for a solution maybe, and they, they throw as much money as possible and they get into this kind of negative Google quality score problem where Google kind of realizes you're pushing really, really hard. They lower your quality score and it kind of exponentially increases the cost with very little kind of extra volume in terms of growth. Just explain that before you get a little talk, like, like if, if I'm spending more money on an ad on, let's say Google, a search ad, why would Google reduce my quality score unless my ad is crap? Right. What other reasons would there be for for reducing that quality score? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's obviously only a finite number of people actually making those searches. So that's one thing. And the the reason the quality score tends to happen is people think they can throw money at it and they can just run kind of lower funnel direct response type landing pages to everybody. So they just say like sign up to my free thing. It's like it's free to sign up. Just very limited information. Just sign up. But obviously, what Google likes is you know, good content. They like the user to be able to, they don't want the users to bounce. So yeah, it's typically because they have very low information, direct response landing pages kind of to everybody. And Google doesn't really like that because it's not a good user experience. They hit you with low quality score and yeah. Okay. And and I guess the, the other part of that is that if you are, let, let's say your reach is again, let's say 5,000 people every month are searching for a keyword that you're targeting. And you get super aggressive with that ad yeah. in terms of spending more. You could be in a situation where those 5,000 people are seeing your ad over and over and over again. And because you're sort of trying to get to the, the final piece in terms of sign up for my product without maybe thinking about what I can do earlier to, yeah. to sort of you know, warm up this lead, you don't get enough clicks on the ad. And then so Google looks at that and says, okay, you've got an ad not enough people seem to be clicking on it. That's another reason that the quality score is going to go down and we'll probably prioritize somebody else who might do a better job. Well, maybe not Maybe not with search because with search, uh, they typically make a search or maybe they then make a different search. So it's not really a case of with search ads, you see the same ads over and over again. Definitely with display where you get remarketing and you get the same ad over and over again, it drives you crazy. I have that. That can kind of have a negative effect. But uh, I think the solution to the problem is that you need to take a full funnel approach. So uh, think more about how can you provide more upper funnel? How can you provide value to these people? 
and kind of bring them along the journey, maybe bring them into an email automation. Then you can maybe do remarketing and you can give them even more valuable content. It's more about, uh, it's more of a branding exercise uh, when you kind of go up a funnel to bring people down. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're looking at a slide here, which is a little awkward if you're on, you know, just listening to the podcast, <laughs> but I'll kind of just try to explain to people. So in terms of the funnel, we're saying, okay, well, at the top, it's really about where you're getting all of these different leads coming through. It could be from, you know, podcasts, blogs, it could be on LinkedIn, it could be ads, whatever. And then people go through this process where there's sort of awareness, consideration, conversion. I think anybody who's done any kind of sort of marketing probably has a sense of that. And, and you know, there, there may be different ways you can describe a funnel, but effectively you're, you're moving somebody who doesn't know anything, maybe doesn't even understand they have a problem through to making a sale. And so sort of the first, if you sort of start at the bottom, you're sort of saying, okay, I'm going to focus on the people who are most aware. They know they have a problem. They're looking for a solution. They know about my product and I'm going to put it in front of them and they're going to buy it. And that kind of works, but that's probably a really small percentage of the total market of potential you know, leads that are out there. And so if you move higher up the funnel, well, there are people who, you know, maybe they're looking for a solution, but they haven't figured out what the right product is. Or if we go even further up, maybe there's people who don't even realize they have a problem. And so you'd be much better off rather than pushing your solution to try and use content to maybe educate them more about the problem. Right? That's Absolutely correct. Yeah, perfect. And there's a slightly sophisticated way, which the next point is how you can, for example, with so different types of content for different people in the funnel, of course, uh, and you kind of build that credibility. But uh, the next point is that you can use, for example, Facebook, these kind of sequencing. So you can say, I'm going to use video for people top of funnel. So a cold audience, they maybe don't even know they have a problem yet and I need to educate them on the problem or they don't know a solution exists. You can run the video ads on that audience and say, for example, if they watch 80% of the video, then they go into a separate audience, which then gets you know more middle funnel ads. And if they engage in some way, then they get the more lower funnel, which could be like book a demo or download pricing. So having a kind of systematic way that you can bring people down the funnel and the ad platforms works really well. Yeah. And so I think for me, the big takeaway here is think about where your your potential customers are, what stage they're at, and focus on the right type of content, ads, whatever the solution is to sort of serve the need that they sort of currently have, and then to move them through to the next stage. Absolutely. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So mistake number four. Yes. So um, not focusing on activation of users. So spending a lot of money to generate free trials. And then once they actually get them on board, they kind of overlook the obvious things like what actually happens when someone's taking a free trial? Are we actively showing them how to use the use the tool with videos, with uh, tips? I think that's, that's a potentially a really, really big oversight. Uh, another thing would be maybe with email sequences. So, you know, once someone does sign up, how can you further educate them with your automation and things of that nature? Right. Yeah. And then the reason this is important is this is part of the the whole conversion process. And we're going to talk about conversion in a little bit. But if you're not doing a good job activating 
those leads and trials, then it's kind of like that leaky bucket syndrome, right? You're doing a lot of work and spending a lot of money on ads and you're getting people to sign up for a trial and then they're just not converting. And, and it's like, well, it doesn't stop when they've sort of just clicked through to the ad. There's still obviously work to do. And I think most founders sort of know that, you know, onboarding activation is an important part of that. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, so like, maybe is that sort of an example of maybe that you've seen something that... Yeah, so I think you can use really sophisticated tools now, like Heap is a tool that I, I often hear about tools from uh, from people we work with. Heap is a really good tool and uh, you can basically create, you know, personalized experiences based on the engagement of people in the platform. So I'm not particularly an expert on activation, but I definitely see that you know, people spend a lot of money and then they realize that people are actually getting into the tool, they're signing up, but then they're not activating and actually starting to pay. So I just think it's an, it's an overlooked area. And it, like you said, it's a leaky part of the bucket. Yeah. Okay. So mistake number five. Not investing enough in conversion rate optimization. I think, again, I see... SaaS companies spending hundreds of thousands a month, you know, 100,000 per month on Google ads, and then they'll allocate 1,000 uh, in conversion rate optimization. So if you're spending all that money to get someone to your site and to your landing page, well, you've only really actually done a very, very small part of the job. Although it's a huge kind of uh, you know, budget allocation, really, it's only just started. You've written an ad, they've seen it, they've clicked, well, you know, the whole user experience is, is a huge, huge part of that. And uh, so I think this is yeah, overlooked. And having a systematic approach to experiments, maybe doing a lot of research on collecting both the quantitative and the qualitative research, I think will give you a good, a good head start. Yeah, I mean, I think conversion rate optimization, I think is super important. I do agree with you. I've seen a lot of examples where there's fair amount of money being spent on ads and then you get through to the the landing page and you know you're like wow that's it's not surprising or i wouldn't be surprised if actually this isn't converting well at all so obviously but but conversion rate optimization isn't just about the landing page it's also about constantly testing every aspect so you know if we sort of think think this through from a search ad perspective, it could be, am I targeting the right keywords and am I testing different keywords that I should be sort of targeting? If it was running LinkedIn or Facebook ads, it's like, you know, the audience targeting, am I targeting the right people and and do I test different audiences and see what that's, what's going on there? Then sort of the next step is the ad, right? So what type of ad do I have? What's the headline, the text? What's the creative? Is that actually doing the job? What other sort of tests am I doing alongside that? But I think it gets even more sort of sophisticated as you go in, right? Because it's very easy to set up an ad, but it's it's, it's much harder to figure out how to optimize it. And I think, you know, one example I can think of is seeing someone spending a lot of money on, I think it was LinkedIn, or I think it was Facebook ads. And then you sort of drill in and you realize that all the conversions were coming from mobile and clients on the desktop weren't really converting, but there was a big chunk of the PPC spend going towards people on the desktop. So again, you can start to get more sophisticated and say, well, if no one on the desktop 
seeing this add on just is converting, maybe I just turn that off and focus on you know people on mobile devices as an example, right? And then yeah, you've got the the actual landing page and so on. So there's I think the the challenge though probably with this is it just seems like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it is. I think that's probably why people uh, put it off. And uh, everything you just said is totally correct. I mean, conversion rate optimization is all encompassing. Of course, uh, I, and in PPC, I think typically people do that quite well. They test the hell out of the audiences. They test the ads, the the campaign objectives, and and all that stuff. And they kind of work in silo, and then they overlook the whole user journey. And and the landing page to me and the user journey just it doesn't get enough resources allocated. So you don't have to go crazy on this. I mean, even just, you know, personalizing landing pages with, uh, you know, the keyword level or, you know, bucketing your keywords into different types of intent and then just changing a headline or a value proposition. So just a certain level of personalization is is much more than what I see most companies do. Yeah. Do you sort of agree with sort of doing conversion rate optimization, but sort of starting fairly simply and then kind of you know getting more sophisticated like I, I don't think what you're saying here is like hey if you sort of start a any whatever type of ppc campaign tomorrow make sure that you have 10 different ads from day one that you have you know 20 different variations of landing pages etc you might get there but you could probably start simpler by saying okay at least i'm going to test two different ads yeah, indeed. And and the, the, the size of the account will dictate how quickly you can get to statistical significance because if you're spending hundreds of thousands, then you definitely should be investing more in uh, landing page optimization. If you're spending just a few thousand, then it's going to take you much longer to, to get there. So, and you said about, you know, kind of, it also depends on the, the, the kind of the baseline of where you're at. So if your landing page is really, really poor and you can tell, then I would say maybe start with a, an overhaul, do some research and I can... Uh, share some more information on how I would approach that. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, make sure you're at least doing some experiments which fall in line with the amount of traffic you get. And VWO uh, Calculator has a really nice tool that helps you um, kind of gauge how long it would take to get to statistical significance based on your traffic volume. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing that a few years ago. So and, and for people who are familiar, VWO is like Visual Website Optimizer. And this, so I think, the, as I recall, the idea is you just put in like a few things in terms of, you know, here's kind of like, you know, my potential reach, uh, how many people will see this ad, et cetera, whatever, right? Yeah. And then it'll tell you, I mean, that's a challenge, right? If you're starting out, you're in the in the early stages, you don't have a lot to spend on your PPC campaign. It might take you like a really long time to get to any sort of level of statistical significance. Yeah. Do you think that like that's still the right way for them to do that or or maybe in the earlier stages where it's like well I just need to use you know a little bit of gut instincts and common sense to figure this out because I can't wait 14 months before you know I have enough traffic yeah well it's crazy i remember i remember playing around with vw calculator and um way back we had some clients and you know, we plugged in the numbers and you say yeah how many sessions do they get visits per day per week and uh it, it, i got like uh it would take eight years to get to statistical significance which is a little right. bit of a wake-up call 
So yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, it only makes sense if you have enough traffic. Yes, yeah, right? indeed. Um, but what you can do is, uh, in the case of if you have a small amount of traffic, you can do kind of week over week comparisons or you know two week over two week comparisons. It's definitely not an exact science because seasonality and all sorts of other factors, but that's probably a good place to start. Okay, let's talk about mistake number six. Yeah, not aligning sales and marketing. So it's, it sounds really, really obvious. Honestly, I've had clients where worst case scenarios where we, we're literally spending hundreds of thousands and then they'll say, oh, we, we just realized uh, yesterday that the whole sales team was at an event. Uh, and it's like, okay, <laughs> we, we spent like 7,000 euros yesterday on the ads and now all these leads are sitting there, there's 100 leads sitting there or whatever and no one's dealing with them. So I think that leveraging the experience of sales and, and kind of combining both sets of knowledge in my experience, gives a lot of uplift. So you know, simple things like what information do we actually need in the form? Like at the moment, we're asking them for what country they're in or what industry. Now, do you need that? Do you actively use it? No. Okay, that's good insight. We can reduce the, the size of the form. Oh, you, we seem to be getting a lot of leads in Egypt and we don't really you know, service leads in Egypt or whatever it is. So just speaking to people on the ground that are actually dealing with the leads and the kind of the fruits of your labor, connecting those two teams will provide a lot of insight. Yeah. The form example, I guess, is is sort of also connects back to conversion rate optimization. Like, you know, I guess the more questions you ask, the lower your conversion rate probably is going to be. So what's the minimal information that you need in order to be able to sort of move forward with 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 the lead that's that's i guess kind of a simplistic example another another example would be going back to conversion optimization when you're thinking about building a landing page so the first thing is you need a really really strong value proposition and the less known you are in the market the less brand equity you have the more strong that needs to be the other major thing i would think about is how can you uh, reinforce motivations how can you address barriers before they become a barrier and how can you answer important questions And the people that typically know this are the sales team because they're all customer success or even speak to your customers, of course. But by aligning those two teams and, and, you know, getting that feedback, it will help improve uh, performance overall. So, so are you saying like if, if, Hey, you talk to sales people and they say, every time we get new leads, we often hear some sort of objection that the product is too expensive then, okay, well, so so you're saying, well, what can you do from a marketing perspective to address that before they even start talking to salespeople? So for example, it might be, can we use some sort of price anchoring like in the message so when they get to the landing page, we can, even though we might not go specifically into the cost of our product, maybe we can anchor that by telling them how expensive it would be if they were trying to do this some other way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very good point. I think pricing is another another big one as well. And um, you see that with lots of SaaS companies. They Probably the number one question most people have is how much is this thing going to cost? And it, it amazes me how often people use smoke and mirrors and they try and you know get people into, you know, just give us your email. They don't tell you about pricing, instant access. And then the second you give the email, then they ask for more information, and which is kind of clever in a way because there's like once humans, we like to finish things. So then people finish... And then they speak to sales and then they do this dance and ultimately it's completely out of the scope of their, their budget. So 
I just think being transparent and being clear is, is the best way to go. Okay, great. So those are the the six mistakes. One sort of question that I wanted to ask you is when we started this conversation, we talked about there are lots of different ways that you could be spending your ad budget. And whether it's search, whether it's the Google Display Network, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn, even more sort of niche kind of things. Well, like, well, I guess Quora isn't niche, but you know, you know what I mean? Compared to Google, probably it is, right? Yeah, sure. Indeed. So what would be your advice for somebody who's saying, okay, I want to start spending this money. I think I need to do some pay-per-click advertising, but there's so many choices. How do I figure out what's what's right for me? Yeah. So whether you're B2B or B2C will play a part in that. Obviously, B2B more towards LinkedIn, B2C, I would say Facebook. On the search side, it really depends if there are already people actively searching for a product just like yours. If you've created some kind of new SaaS product or tool that is completely revolutionary and people don't even know it exists, well, then search is probably not the best place to start because people aren't actively searching for it. And you maybe then want to start thinking about how to create content, how to bring value, I think video is an incredibly good way to do that because you can you know, use it on all different platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. So I guess it depends, yeah, B2B, whether there's already search traffic and, and your budget as well. If you have a small budget, I think realistically that the go-to starting place would be uh, Google search. Okay, great. So let's move on to our uh, lightning round and wrap things up here. Sure. Okay, so I'm going to ask you seven quick fire questions. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? I think good now is better than perfect later. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Uh, I would say uh, I really liked uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Uh, Really good. If you're trying to build a team, it's just how to kind of lead with vulnerability and use empathy. And uh, yeah, really, really, I gained loads of value from that book. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? I would say persistence for me is the number one thing because you're going to come up across so many uh, challenges and roadblocks, just the ability to keep getting up, learning from your mistakes and just going day after day. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I'd say getting exactly seven hours and 45 minutes sleep for me, which is my, my average. If I sleep, I, uh, yeah, I perform much better. So I use like a, an aura a tracking ring. And since then I've been able to really understand where my, uh, how to improve my sleep and it, just really helps my productivity. Has it made that much difference? Like figuring out exactly seven hours and 45 minutes? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's taken quite a lot of time, but you really, uh, you really realize how things like, um, for me, uh, exercising late in the evening, I would often play football late in the evening, like 8 till 9 p.m. And it really, really uh, kind of increases my heart rate and I always have you know, trouble sleeping. And also with things like um, even just a couple of glasses of wine late in the evening can re- and, and certain types of food. So yeah, I'd say it's definitely shone a light on uh, all my, my terrible habits. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? I'm sure it's not crazy or new, but I, I'm pretty obsessed about coffee. So I think some kind of uh, SaaS coffee type business would be, would be great. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, I would say uh, I'm currently based in Amsterdam and uh, I met my Dutch girlfriend on a beach in Sri Lanka and then ended up moving here. And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? 
I would say coffee. <laughs> it's sad to say, but I'm a, as we said before, I'm a, I think I'm a coffee snob. You should come to Seattle. We have some decent coffee here. I would love to. I'll take that as an invitation and I'll, uh, I'll send you the flight costs. Yeah, that's right. Okay, great. So um, thanks for joining me, Todd. Thanks for uh, sharing these lessons and mistakes and, and you know, letting me pick your brain here. If people want to find out more about Uproar Media, they can go to uprawmedia.com. Yeah. And we'll include a link in the show notes to that. And uh, if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I would say via the site, or you can also connect with me on LinkedIn as well. I'm not hard to find. Todd Chambers is not many, I don't think. Right. And then there's also a spreadsheet that you have that we're going to share with people. Yeah, it's the the uh, SAS uh, unit economics. And basically, you can plug in uh, some numbers and it will tell you what your LTV is, uh, what the CAC to LTV ratio is. And it also then projects month over month and graphs the cash flow trough we spoke about. And you can compare to different sets of metrics to see in the end, which would be most profitable. So yeah, it's a nice tool. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. And thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And, uh, you know, thanks for staying up late. I know it's probably, what is it? Uh, it's 7, 16 PM. So that's no, no, okay. no problem at all. Not too bad. It's like, all right, cool. Thanks, Todd. And, uh, wish you all the best. Cheers. You too. Thanks, Emma. Speak soon.